of you don't know, I'm Jason uh, Coker. I'm the co-minister here. And like Joey, I'm feeling very proud to have seen our music minister stand up here and do a little preaching this morning. Uh, and speaking of preaching, Andrew did some preaching this morning as well. I don't know if you all noticed that. And occasionally they still let me preach here, so I have a few things to say. If you haven't been here, we've been in the midst of a, a fairly long series called The Art of Community. We've dedicated our summer to exploring where in Scripture we find clues and patterns of what it means to be in community together. For the month of June, we looked at Acts chapter 2, went through that entire chapter and dialogued a little bit about it together as a church. And then in July, we looked at Romans chapter 12 and noticed some of the similarities between Romans 12 and Acts chapter 2, some of the patterns of what it means to build a spiritual community together. Today, we're going to shift for the month of August to our last section on this. We're going to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and also a bit at chapter 13 over the next several weeks. This is, of course, the section in 1 Corinthians where Paul turns to love. And I think you could just as easily rename our series for the month of August, Reckless Love, because as the band played this morning, we will talk all month long about how the love of God is reckless and how that is sometimes intimidating uh, because it does invite us into a kind of vulnerability and intimacy with God and with each other that we are fearful of. And so I want to explore that a little bit this month, and we will, of course, as we have been all summer, dialogue a little bit about it together as a congregation, although today I'll be doing most of the talking. Apologies in advance. First, would you just pray with me for a moment? God, we thank you for this opportunity for us to gather this morning to lift our voices and our prayers, to open our hearts and our minds to what you might speak to us through these songs and prayers and passages of Scripture. We ask that you would meet us in the midst of our fears and insecurities, that we would become a people who, because of our faith, have the courage to embrace the love that you have poured out on us, that we are called to share with one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, about 15 years ago, Janelle and I were both on staff at a rather large church in central Ohio, and uh, there were some things that we were doing at that church, and the senior pastor sort of challenged us to come up with different ways of reaching out to the community and expressing the gospel. And at that particular time, I was particularly inspired by the story that we find in Luke chapter 3, where John the Baptist is baptizing people. It may have looked something like that mural because that mural was painted in 1928 to look like the River Jordan. I don't know if that's exactly what that looks like. But anyway, John the Baptist is at the River Jordan. He's baptizing people. And of course, the scribes and the Pharisees come out to see what's going on because John the Baptist has caused quite a commotion. He says some of, I think, the most amazing and scandalous things we see in Scripture. First, all of these people that come out to see him, John calls them snakes. He says, you brood of vipers. That's quite a welcome, isn't it? 
Not exactly a church growth strategy. You brood of vipers, who told you to flee from the wrath that is to come? And they respond by saying, well, okay, fine, we're judged, right? I mean, he's a prophet. He eats locusts and honey. He lives in the wilderness. They're expecting to be called out, right? So they say, fine, John, what do we do then if we're facing wrath, if we're facing judgment from God? And he says, the most utterly simple and straightforward expression of the gospel that I know of in scripture. He said, if you have two shirts, give one to somebody who needs it. And if you have extra money, do the same. And if you're a soldier, treat people kindly. In other words, the heart of the gospel for John the Baptist is, of course, this radical expression of love and care. And I thought, well, geez, we live in, you know, the United States. Everybody has not only two shirts, they have like closets full of clothes, you know, because of fast fashion and consumerism. And Janelle and I thought, well, what if we just made a really simple way for people to share with each other out of the abundance of the stuff that they have? I've got stuff. You've got stuff. We all have a lot of stuff, right? And so we did what everybody did back in 2007, you know, when you had a new idea, we made a website. And on that website, we posted some instructions that said, hey, if you've got some extra stuff that you don't need, post it here. And then if other people need that stuff, they'll claim it. And then the two of you can meet and like give it to each other. And we were like, I don't know if this is going to work. But uh, lo and behold, within, you know, a couple of months there were 3,000 people in Columbus, Ohio, who had joined that website and posted their stuff. And church was out of control. On Sunday mornings, we would show up at church, and there's a big lobby, you know, where people are coming in. And people were walking in carrying, like, lamps and toasters and, like, bundles full of clothing and meeting each other in the lobby. And it was, like, not just Christians doing this. A lot of people were showing up and, like, exchanging their lamps and toasters and shirts in the lobby and then leaving, you know. <laughs> which was kind of not the point, but that's okay. Uh, it was a super uh, life-changing experience for us. One of the things we learned is that when you stop trying to control love, it grows exponentially. And that is what I want to try to convince you of today. That when you stop trying to control love, it grows exponentially. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul turns, of course, to the spiritual gifts. And we looked at this very briefly in Romans chapter 12 last month. Romans chapter 12 talks about spiritual gifts. And here, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 also talks about spiritual gifts. I want to skip ahead a bit to verse 4. Romans chapter 12, verse 4 says this. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The first thing that I notice in this passage is verse 6. There are varieties of activities, right? So Paul has sort of come off of this repetitive sort of rhetorical uh, expression, right? There are different kinds of gifts, different kinds of abilities, different kinds of activities, but Paul emphasizes they're all from the same spirit. And then he says something that I find inspiring. He says, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. 
The same God activates that gift in you as activates the gifts in me. That means whether your gift, your ability, your spiritual inclinations lead you to be a singer or a musician or a public speaker or a person who, you know, welcomes people into your home and feeds them and treats them with kindness or somebody who's particularly good at connecting people together in good and healthy relationships, whatever your gift, whatever your abilities, Paul is careful to stress that they come from the same God. This reminds me, of course, of James 1.17, where James says, Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. And this, I think, if we really reflected on it, would really ruin our lives. But Paul and James are both saying is that the same God, the same source of love and goodness and beauty, is behind every good and beautiful thing in the world. That means that if there is something good and true and beautiful in your life, then it is from that thing we call God. It doesn't matter what that gift is. This is a a bit of a departure from Paul's context. He was a Hellenized Jew, meaning he was highly influenced by Greek philosophy. In Greek philosophy, different gifts, different abilities were sort of hierarchical. Some gifts were from some gods, other gifts were from others, and some gifts were better than other gifts. Paul's saying, no, 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 that's not how it works. Anything that is good and beautiful and true comes from the same source. That means that God is behind every good thing in your life and in my life and in all the lives of those who are around us. In fact, it leads me to the second thing I notice in verse 6, which is very inspiring to me. Paul says, not only is it the same God who activates all of these good things, but it says the same God activates all of them in everyone. There is no exception to this. I know that your neighbor is just as annoying as my neighbor. You know, the the guy who like always has an annoying thing to say about the way that I take my trash out or whether or not I painted my fence well enough or, you know, no, I have that neighbor, you guys. Joey looks surprised. He lives in an apartment. All he, you know, his neighbors are noisy, right? Yes, you're noisy. Joey is noisy. But this goodness that we're talking about that comes from the same God, it is in everyone. It is a fundamental Christian belief that all people were created in the image of God. So all people, whether they think the same way that you do, whether they believe the same things that you do, whether they call themselves Christians or Buddhists or Muslims or Jews or atheists, They all are a reflection of the image of God. Now, they might be annoying. They might be really hurt and traumatized and broken. They might be extraordinarily toxic and dysfunctional. They might even be people who tend to express what we might call evil. I don't mean that everybody is good. I mean that everybody is a reflection of God's goodness. Again, the theme here is we don't get to decide. We don't get to control 
God's goodness and God's grace. There is no hierarchy of grace. We don't purchase grace. We don't own grace. We don't control grace. We don't direct grace. We don't define grace. We don't contain grace within any systems of doctrine or belief. We do not brand grace or sell grace for a profit. Grace refuses to be controlled and exploited. And when we seek to control and exploit grace, it ceases to be grace. Later in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, the Spirit chooses where grace goes. Not me, not you. This is why Jesus, when speaking of the Spirit, says the Spirit cannot be controlled or predicted or directed. He says it's like the wind. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes, but you see its effects. This is good news, y'all. Because if any one of us, by our education or our position or our wealth or our status or our ethnicity, could somehow be in charge of grace well, then we would have the world, wouldn't we? We would have systems of coercion and control and power and manipulation. That is what the New Testament means by the world. It means the attempt to control the flow of goods and goodness. It means to attempt to be in charge of people's flourishing. But the Spirit does not work that way. This is why I think it's, it makes perfect sense that Paul, just prior to this passage, actually talked about the Lord's Supper. And Joey just led us in a beautiful meditation of the Lord's Supper. But I, I want to point out to you that right before this conversation of grace, Paul talks about the Lord's Supper. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and broke it. And when he'd given thanks, he said, This is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This meal that we share when we celebrate the Lord's Supper together is a physical manifestation of what Paul is talking about later. It is grace that has been received and then grace that we share with each other, not unlike when you have people to your house for dinner. When you have people over, what do you do? You, you take out the best stuff from your pantry and your fridge and you like put it together in the best way that you know how and you try to make that like French sauce from the cookbook that you never made before and you hope it goes well. <laughs> Because you care about these people, you love them, and you want to impress them, you want to treat them. The beautiful thing about meals is that as we share them, the grace that is contained within those meals is multiplied. That is exactly what is at image, what is depicted in the practice of communion. When Jesus shares his original communion meal, it's hearkening back to other miracles in the history of Judaism that recognize that when good things are shared, they multiply. It's like Jesus multiplying the loaves and the fishes. Grace comes, and when it is shared instead of held onto, it's multiplied and feeds more people. 
In the book of Exodus, we see the story of manna in the desert. When that manna is shared, it is multiplied and it feeds more people. This is a notion that is at the very heart of our faith. And it has a purpose in mind. It has an end in mind. In verse 7, back to Romans chapter 12, Paul continues, it's the same God who activates all of these gifts in everyone, and to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, verse 7, for the common good. It should be obvious at this point that the whole reason that grace cannot be controlled, the whole reason that grace cannot be purchased or owned or contained is because when grace is free, when it is allowed to roam free, it feeds everyone. The purpose of our community is the common good. It's not my paycheck. It's not your status. It is the good for every person in the community. We see this most radically in Acts chapter 2, which we visited in June. At the end of Acts chapter 2, we see that the culmination of community is a community of people who are willing to radically be there for each other, to meet each other's needs. They literally sell their possessions and goods to provide for the poorest people in their midst. Later in Acts chapter 4, verse 34, it says, There was no longer a needy person among them. Because they took this notion of the free gift of grace so radically that they realized that if grace is free, if it's wild, if it's good, then there can be nobody in our community who is still in need. It's a logical contradiction to say that you believe in the free goodness and grace of God and to allow anybody in your midst to be poor. And if you allow anybody in your midst to remain poor, it's just another way of saying you don't believe that grace is free. And I know, I know, I know that it's hard to hear. Because we live in a culture and in a society that tells us that we have to fight for every scrap of money and wealth and security that we can get. And this morning, when the worship team arrived, they found a, a mess of clothing and property and personal possessions of somebody who lives on the street and left their stuff on our porch. Y'all, this happens all the time. We're in downtown Oceanside. And I know that when I stand up here and I say that if you allow people to continue to live in poverty, it's just another way of saying you don't believe in grace. That creates a real problem for us because we are surrounded by poverty. And so I know that's hard and complicated and messy. I don't know how to solve that, and I know you don't either. But to be a person who believes in grace is to at least be a person who tries, who wrestles with that contradiction, who's at the very least heartbroken by it. Paul is calling us to an expression of goodness and grace 
that is radically committed to the common good. This is completely in line with John the Baptist's gospel in Luke chapter 3. If you have two shirts, give one to somebody who needs it. Or Jesus' gospel in Matthew 25. Depart from me, I never knew you, because when I was hungry or thirsty or imprisoned, you did not serve my needs. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul talks about this very issue. He's asking for money from the Christians in Jerusalem, or from the Christians in Corinth, rather, to assist the Christians in Jerusalem who are struggling. And he acknowledges the messiness of this, the difficulty of this. He says, listen, my point is not that I'm asking you for money so that you will suffer, so that you will be hard-pressed. Instead, he says, I want you to give now so that later when you are in need, you will receive relief. The point is equality. The point is that we are here for each other. The point is that we are so deeply in love with the goodness and the grace of God that we refuse to allow anybody to suffer without it. This is what it means to be a part of a community. It means to be a part of a group of people who are so committed to this reckless love, this radical free expression of grace, that we're ready to give our lives to it. And I think it's worth giving ourselves to. Listen, it is not worth giving ourselves to an expression of Christianity that thinks that it is the only good, true, pure, and right version, so that we can conveniently stand on our soapbox and judge everybody else who isn't as good as we are. I'm not interested in being a part of that community. I'm not interested in being a part of a community that believes that it has the corner on grace. But I am interested in being a part of a community that says, listen, so-and-so is hurting. What can we do to show this person grace, to multiply the grace that God has given us so they will be okay? That's the kind of community I want to be a part of. That's the kind of community we are inviting you into here. It costs a lot. Not because I have a private jet. I don't. Not because I need you to give all kinds of money to make sure that I am empowered to live a life in the style to which I've become accustomed. (laughs) That's not it. Being a part of a community like this costs a lot because there are so many needs in our community around us. And we're radically committed to the belief that God wants to meet those needs. Are you interested in that kind of community? What good and beautiful thing has the Spirit given to you? What good and beautiful thing has the Spirit given you? Because I promise you, God has given you good gifts. Maybe it's a toaster, maybe it's a floor lamp, maybe it is the ability 
to pray for somebody in a way that acknowledges their pain and suffering and fills them with hope in the midst of their struggle. Maybe it's the ability to sing or play an instrument or the ability to hand food lovingly and non-judgmentally to somebody who's hungry. The list is so long. What has God given you that you have to share? My promise to you, because I've experienced it, is that if you share it, it will be multiplied. In fact, in my experience, it will get way out of control. And that's a good thing. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for, again, this opportunity for us to be challenged and inspired by these words. It's our prayer, God, that as we move through this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that you would call us to a higher vision of love. That we would be challenged to believe that if we respond to your grace by giving it away, by sharing it, by leveraging our goods and possessions for the sake of others, that you will multiply it, that you will create a community of care and love that can say that there are no needy persons among us because we are all willing to live open-hearted and open-handed in this place together. And lastly, God, I pray that you would really reach each of us with a vision of what we have been given. That we would take stock of how you have gifted us. That we would no longer hold tightly to the goods and the gifts that you've given us, but that we would freely give them for the common good in our community. We pray this in Jesus' name. just about Sunday morning, y'all. So firstly, just a new service time poll. And I can tell you that um, there's been some politicking going on. I've been getting some phone calls. I've been getting like, if we're changing the time, why is 11 o'clock still on there? We all kinds of things. So look, we're going by the votes. So you have to vote. No, no call, you can call me, we can talk about it but it's still gonna be the votes. So please go and vote. You've gotten texts about it. You can go, um, let me see, how can you do this? It's on the website. You cannot vote three times. We believe that you are honest people. Also, um, this is uh, one more plug for our Forgiveness Understanding the Journey class. 
This is going to be on Zoom. It's six weeks. It's every Tuesday. It starts on the 9th. And I can tell you that I have read the book by Desmond Tutu, The Book of Forgiveness. It's incredible. It is um, such a more nuanced look at forgiveness, what it is, how we walk through it. It's a journey. It's not just a, I'm angry. No, I forgive you. It is a whole different way of looking at this. Um, so if forgiveness is something that you have need of in your life, I would really encourage you to get on our website, sign up and start that Tuesday night. Um, we are also doing the Black Canyon Spiritual Nature Retreat. That's going to be, yes, we've got some exciting, excited people here, October 6th through October 9th. And there's going to be canoeing, camping, and also, this must be a theme, exploring forgiveness. And we do have a licensed clinical social worker who's also a spiritual director that's going to be going on this journey with us, along with our associate pastor, Alex Kipp, who has been working diligently to put this together. So please um, consider that. You can sign up by going to our QR, QR code um, all over. We've got one right there, and that'll get you to our, our website so that you can sign up. Um, and then finally, we are at 501c3. And so a lot of what we do here is on your gifts and donations. So again, you can give a couple of ways. You can go to our website. You can find that via our QR code. You can drop a check into the boxes as you leave as well. Um, to finish this off, I... Was I'm so thankful that I've been around with Jason for all of these years now. We're about to hit 31. And I remember when we started the Two Shirts community, I remember thinking, I think I've been living like this. And I need to start living like this so that things can flow away from me and back to me. And so um, just, a, just a thought. Where in your life are you, you living with your arms across your chest? It's a protective measure, protects your heart, protects all kinds of things, but also keeps all kinds of things away. I also want to share that um, we have, look around, we don't have a huge church. I mean, we have some of you watching online, but we are not a several thousand member church. But we are every Monday um, providing food for our community. And I think we're up to around 70 to 80 households every Monday. When I tell big churches, when you know I meet with other ministers and I tell big churches what we're doing, they go, you're doing that every week? We do that once a quarter, or we do that once a month. It's, that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And we're seeing with inflation, the need go up. We also, this little church, heard that there was a family who had provided one of their apartment apartments, they have some apartments that they rent, to a Ukrainian household for six months. And we also, and that, church, that family told us that there was a need for a computer so that the wife could work, a car 
for the family. And um, I just want to say this little church provided housing, a brand new computer, a car, and then the finances to get that car, you know, some new tires, insurance covered, um, registration covered. And now that family has called us and said, our sister is coming to the United States from Ukraine. So another opportunity, if you have a room, it's just one person, an adult woman who is, was a pharmacist or is a pharmacist in the Ukraine and will be uh, hopefully getting a job as a pharmacist here. She needs a room for the next three to six months. And so if anybody has a desire to host somebody, please let us know by leaving us a little note in the box or reaching out to one of us through the website, okay? So let's pray together and have a great week. Father God, we just thank you for our community, for your grace, for the ability to let go and open our arms to all that you have for us and for us to hold lightly all that we have to give. Bless us this week. Show us where you are moving. In Jesus' name, amen. Let the peace of God be with you. Also with you. Have a great week.